If you would stand with me as we pray and then ask God's blessing upon the reading and preaching of His Word. Now, Father, we come in the name of Christ to the preaching of Your Word. We pray for Your blessing. We pray, O Lord, that You would bless us with light and understanding, that You would bless us, O Lord, to receive it as the Word of God, as it is. We pray, O Lord, that we would understand it and make application of it in our lives, that it would truly be a saving Word to all who love You and desire to keep Your commandments and Your ways. So, Lord, bless us now with the light of Your Word. Bless us with Christ who is the eternal word of the living God. Bless us, O Lord, in this moment as we seek to walk in conformity with it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, beloved, hear the reading of God's word. I want to begin reading in verse 19. Now, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. And abstain from every form of evil. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. And brothers and sisters, this morning our attention is going to be on verse 20. Where Paul writes, do not despise prophetic utterances. This link in Paul's chain of closing injunctions addresses the way we may be guilty of quenching the Spirit, or even in this case, despising prophetic utterances. And in fact, the Greek grammar is very similar in both of those injunctions. We are told in verse 19, stop quenching the Spirit. Paul is not suggesting that it's a possibility. He is saying stop doing it. It is something that's beginning to take place. And we've acknowledged over the past three or four sermons, haven't we? Or at least come to a personal realization that we are guilty of quenching the Spirit in a variety of ways. Now he addresses dealing with prophetic utterances. And it's structured in the very same way. Stop. Stop despising prophetic utterances. Stop it. Paul is addressing this in a way that helps us deal with the revealed will of God. Of course, in this situation, he's dealing with prophets and prophetic utterances. Because in the first century church, during this time, there were those men and women that had the gift of prophesying. Now, prophesying is not simply foretelling something that you're Uh, where the prophet sees something in the future and explains it to the church. That is a form and that is certainly a part of what a prophet does, but that that was not and it was never primarily the function of a prophet. The main function of a prophet was to for was to teach the people the will of God in ethics and righteousness. To explain God's will for them on how to live every day of their lives. And I believe and most scholars and commentators believe that that's exactly what Paul is addressing when he deals with prophetic utterances. He is simply dealing with the preaching of God's word. Paul is emphatic about this. Paul is emphatic and the meaning is he's drawing our attention. He's drawing our attention for us to consider how we treat the Word of God. Are we careless with it? That's what he's doing. That's the the question for us this morning. Are we guilty of disdaining the Word of God? God. Paul directs our attention to it. And what does it mean? What does it mean to despise the Word of God? Well, the word means to treat it with contempt. That's strong, isn't it? To treat God's Word with contempt. 
to scorn at it. To have a low opinion of it. That's what it means. It, it, it's the idea of the Word of God being set aside for other things. There's another idea taking place here that I think Paul is uh, referring to. And that's the idea of, of sort of when this begins to take place in God's people. That is, we don't necessarily naturally coming to Christ. We're very excited about the Word of God. We're excited about learning. We want to grow. We want to read our Bibles. We want to be in Bible study. We want to hear the preaching of the gospel. I mean, we want to subject ourselves and submit ourselves to all these things. But there comes a season when it kind of gets old, doesn't it? There comes a time in our lives when we begin putting other things in place of Bible teaching, Bible reading. Okay? Personal Bible study, personal Bible reading. I mean, it's just easier to do other things. We'll get to it later. Even the preaching of the gospel loses its luster, if you will, because we will, we would just much rather be doing other things. And this is an arrogance and a pride that's beginning to grow up in our hearts. If you turn in your Bibles to Luke 18 and verse 9, we'll see how this contempt manifests itself in the life of a worshiper. In Luke chapter 18, look at verse 9, and this is the idea of this contempt or this disdain, if you will. Look at verse 9, and he, that's Christ, also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves. That they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the idea. This idea may have seem to have crept in to the church where they now don't see a need for the Word of God. It's just not as, as important to them as it once was. We don't need all the Bible study stuff. We don't need to hear all of these things over and over and over. We're bored. We want something new. And Paul is warning the church not to be guilty of that. Listen to Matthew Henry in these words. They're very good, very enlightening, and very convicting. Hear what he has to say about this. He says, if we neglect the means of grace, we forfeit the spirit of grace. By prophesying here, we are to understand the preaching of the word, the interpreting and applying of the scriptures. And this we must not despise, but we should prize and value. Because it is the ordinance of God, something God commands for our good, appointed of Him for our furtherance and increase in knowledge and grace and holiness and comfort. You hear what Matthew Henry is saying here? Why would you disdain? Why would you show with contempt? The very thing God uses to honor you in your life, to build you up, to cause you to be joyful and happy, to cause you to inherit eternal life. Why would you want to show contempt toward that which God has so preciously given to you in Christ? He goes on. We must not despise preaching, though it be plain, and not with enticing words of, man's, of men's wisdom, 
And though we be told no more than what we knew before, it is useful and many times needful to have our minds stirred up, our affections and resolutions excited to those things that we knew before to be our interest and our duty. You see, Matthew Henry says, even when you come to the preaching of God's Word and you understand and know in detail everything that's being said, wow, what that Word does is excite those interests. It excites those desires and religious affections in you. It's having its work. It's doing its thing in you. But beloved, if you sit there and you can't imagine being here, and you can't imagine, oh, wasting your time on these things, guess what? You are showing contempt to the Word of God and therefore showing contempt to the Spirit of grace. And what benefit is it going to be to you? What is the opposite of disdain? Treasure. To treasure it. Don't treat it with disdain. Treasure it. I know you young ladies often have things that you prize very much. Maybe it's a gift. Maybe it's uh, something somebody special has given you. And you keep it in a very special place. And you don't, you know, you might get it that out at times and show some of your closest, dearest friends. But for the most part, it stays secure in the place that you put it because it's not common. That's what it means to treasure something. It means to protect it. It means to, to, to value it. it, it it's the idea of, of, of esteeming it, loving it, giving favor and regard toward it, having approval, approving of it. That's, what's the, that's the opposite of disdain. That's what Paul is calling us to. He doesn't want us to be guilty of disdaining, treating the Word of God with a very low esteem and low opinion. He wants it to be valued and treasured in us. He wants us to love the Word of God. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation day and night. He wants us to be able to cry out along with other biblical characters and say the same things about the Word of God. He wants us to treasure and value and esteem and highly have a high regard for the Word of God. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We want to answer this very simple question. Why? Why should I esteem and value God's Word? Why should I? That's what I want to spend time answering this morning. Because, brothers and sisters, what we want to deal with, what we're, and what we are dealing with, is carelessness. And it's careless. You know, you don't take that prized possession and just leave it lying around anywhere, do you? You know, you may have um, small children in the house, and you don't give you know, a one- or two-year-old or five-year-old, something that's very valuable. You know, you, you don't give them pearl necklaces and diamond rings to play with or to chew on. You don't do any of those things. They'll lose it. They'll tear it up. And you, you won't have it long. We don't do that. And that's what we need to learn to do here. We need to learn why. We need to answer that question. Why should we hold God's Word in such high regard and with such high esteem well I want to again kind of address this idea of well I'll get to it but the means of grace let's let's begin to answer that question first of all the Holy Spirit uses the word of God as a saving means of grace in our lives now that's number one the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God in our lives as a means of grace, as a saving means of grace, as an instrument, if you will, as a tool. Not only to bring us to Christ, but to train us in Christ 
and to provide for us that eternal inheritance. It's the, it's the Word of God. It's the Word that the Spirit has written through fallible men. It's using the Word of God to bring us to this glorious communion with God through Christ. It's a tool. We all understand what tools are, don't we? We know what tools are. You can use tools to change a tire. A carpenter uses tools to build a cabinet or to build a house. But not all tools are alike. There are some tools that are more valuable and more, you know, have a a, a greater use than other tools. For example... The tools of a carpenter, if you look at the tools of a carpenter, they're not the same as the tools of a surgeon, are they? The carpenter doesn't teach or doesn't treat his tools like they are surgical tools, does he? He doesn't clean them off. He doesn't disinfect them. I mean, he doesn't sterilize them. I mean, he doesn't keep them out of the weather. I mean, he, he, he takes general care of them, but he does not treat them like a surgeon would treat his tools. Now why? Well, one, the carpenter's tools are used to build, say, a house. But the surgeon's tools are used to save a life and to enhance health. Which is more valuable? The life. You see, there is this idea, brothers and sisters, that we need to get in our mind that the Word of God is special. It's not like other books, though it is a book. Though it has pages, it has writing on pages. It is a book, it has authors, it has subjects and themes. It has, you know, subjects and verbs and all those various things that we commonly use in other genres and in other way in other writings. But it's still not the same as the newspaper or Gone with the Wind. It's it's a special book. It's the revelation of God, the only true and living God. It is special, and we are to treat it. As that. We're to treat it as special. Let me give you another illustration. Hopefully it helps solidify it in your mind. But particularly these young children here this morning. If you have a new puppy. And you bring that puppy in the house. And you put that puppy in the kennel. And your mama says, well go get me some paper. So we can line the kennel. And so when he messes up, you know, it won't be too, it won't be hard to clean up and we'll potty train him, so to speak. We'll, we'll teach him to go outside and we'll, we'll train him to do the things we need him to do. Um, and do you run and grab your Bible and tear the pages out and line the kennel with your Bible? You wouldn't do that. Why? It's his book. Because it's the Bible. It's the Scriptures. It's it's the book that's God-breathed. It's the revelation of God. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's by this book, brothers and sisters, our eyes are open to our sin. Our eyes are open to the glory of God. By the book. By its teaching. By its things. By its doctrines. When the Bible is explained and and when it's preached, when it's taught, when it's read, it is revealing and unveiling the glory of God in His Son, Jesus Christ. It's helping us to walk in His ways. It's causing us to conform to His doctrines and truths. It's causing our hearts to be shaped and conformed to His most glorious and righteous will. It's not like other books. No, you go grab the newspaper and you line the kennel with the newspaper. You don't line it with the pages of your Bible and for good reason. 
Now, I want to remind you this morning that there have been men and women and families, churches that have lost their status in communities and if some have lost their lives for the Word of God. To hold what you hold right now in your lap. Men and women have died for it. It's not like other books. We ought to treasure and value it, brothers and sisters. This means of grace, what is this means of grace? Well, when we talk about means, we're talking about a tool. We're talking about that which is used in order to bring about a certain result. The Word of God is a tool. It's the means by which the Holy Spirit uses in the life of God's elect. A grace, a grace is the favor and power of God. It's the power. The the Word of God is used by the Holy Spirit with power in our lives. Because the Word of God in and of itself is not powerful. It's only powerful when the Holy Spirit uses it in our lives. It's not a magical book. It's not superstitious. You know, you can't read the Bible and just expect... Something good to happen to you or you get a blessing. It doesn't work that way. The Bible coupled with the Holy Spirit is a means of saving grace. It's a powerful, it's a powerful grace in our lives where God saves us and He continues to grow us up and to conform us into the image of his son. But brothers and sisters, make no mistake about it. Not everyone who should know better loves the Word of God. Now I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the rank unbeliever. Okay? Paul gives the injunction stop disdaining prophecies. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. He's talking to the church because they had, seems like they had been around now for maybe a year to two years, maybe a tad longer. And guess what happens? They had become slack in attendance. They had become slack in hearing the Word of God. And Paul says, stop doing these things. The Bible tells us, beloved, that a fool, a fool despises Knowledge. Instruction. A fool mocks the teaching of God's Word. And I, I, I will listen to me. I do not want you to puff yourself up. I don't want to puff myself up. But whenever we know a portion of God's Word and we go, well... I'm going to do it anyway. What did we just what did we just do? We just we are guilty of mocking the word of God. Yeah. I know what it says, but oh well. You know, we're all sinners. Guilty of treating the word of God with contempt. And it should not be this way, brothers and sisters. We act We're acting at that point like fools. Fools. We should have a high view of Scripture. And where does this high view of Scripture come from? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I I don't want you to take credit for this high view of Scripture. I want you to give glory to God. And I want you to understand that the high view that you have this morning of Scripture did not originate with you. It didn't originate with us. It came from the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? 
Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for, a sign, for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the things that are strong. And these base things of the world and the, the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that He might nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Now, who's doing? His doing. Who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Where does this high view of Scripture come from? It comes from the Lord who has put his spirit in you. Who has caused you to see His glory in the, on the written pages of Scripture. And that's why you don't read this Bible like any other book, right? Because you see the glory of God on these pages of Scripture. You see Christ on these pages. You see your salvation here. You see your eternity here, brothers and sisters. Because God has made in your life the foolishness of this world. He has caused us to wake up and to realize that all that man highlights, all that man exalts, all that man esteems is foolishness in the eyes of God. <laughs> foolishness. And he says, I come to destroy it all. I come to tear it down. And I come to present to you the weak and beggarly things which are mightier, stronger, and wiser than anything the world could ever offer you. And we believe that. We believe that and we trust that, don't we? Because the Holy Spirit is working in us. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. He does this by making the reading of the Word of God, but primarily the preaching of God's Word, a means or a tool, if you will, to open our eyes and to see it as something different, special, and precious, not only in God's sight, but now our sight as well. Turning your Bibles to Acts 26. Acts 26, verse 16 and following, Paul is giving his testimony. Paul is explaining why the Lord Jesus Christ has called him to the ministry. And look there with me at verse 16. Now this is the Lord Jesus talking to Paul as Paul explains this. He says, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness and light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's why the Lord Jesus sent the Apostle Paul. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I have appointed you, I have called you, and I am giving you now, I'm anointing you to go preach the gospel. And in preaching the gospel, you're going to open men's eyes. You're going to help them see. You're going to help them understand. And they're going to turn from their dark and evil ways. And they're going to turn to me and receive forgiveness of sins and salvation. And they're going to be sanctified in Christ. Because Paul's going to use the Word of God to do it. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 8. This is a simple, ver this is one verse that explains the simplicity of preaching. The method of it. They read from the book. 
from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. That's preaching. You read the Bible, you read the scriptures, and you give the sense of it, the meaning of it. You explain it. And guess what happens? When that is opened up to their hearts and to their minds, guess what they do? Those who come, now listen, not everybody. This does not happen to everybody. It happens to God's elect. They come hungering and thirsting for the Word of God. They come hungering and thirsting to know Christ more. They come hungering and thirsting to have their hearts expanded in communion with God. They want to know Him and walk with Him. They want to be with Him. They, what can keep me away from my God? I gave the sense of it and explained it. You see, brothers and sisters, that's why we should highly esteem the Word of God because the Holy Spirit uses the Word in he, with preachers to preach the Word of God. Now, let me, let me just say this, because I don't want you to, to get the impression that it's not important, because we're going to deal with it in the next few Sundays. That doesn't mean that the preacher shouldn't do his best. That, that doesn't mean that there, there shouldn't be order and structure to the sermon that we can follow along to help us with. No, it doesn't mean any of that. It means, brothers and sisters, that the Word of God is so precious that the preacher does spend time studying it, organizing it, so that he might explain it and it might be understood so that you walk out and go, Praise God! Praise the Lord! I knew that doctrine, but I didn't know it in that way. That's a side of that doctrine I've never seen before. I praise God, or maybe I have seen it before, but praise God because it excited my interest. It excited my affections for God. It made me appreciate God even more. You know one thing that's good about family reunions and family get-togethers, you know, and Thanksgiving and, and, and things like that, is because when you sit around and you reminisce, and you start talking about some of the things that have happened in the family, maybe the hard times or the good times. You start remembering the qualities of the people that you're kin to. And you guess what? You appreciate them. Oh, I forgot all about that. I forgot that my uncle, my cousin, my brother, my sister, my dad, or my mom, I forgot that they had that kind of character. And it makes us appreciate them that much more. How much more with God? How much more with God? Brothers and sisters, there's a second thing here. A second reason why we need to um, not be careless with the Word of God, but esteem it highly. And that is the Holy Spirit uses the Word to convince us, convict us, and to humble us as sinners. Turn to... Um, 1 Corinthians 14. First Corinthians 14. Notice what Paul does here. Paul, in verse 22, Paul is rebuking the church because they wanted the gift of tongues more than any of the other spiritual gifts. And why did they want the gift of tongues? They wanted the gift of tongues because it was flashy. It was exciting. They wanted to all be able to stand up and speak in another language. And so they all just clamored over the gift of tongues in that. But notice what Paul tells them about the gift of tongues. Look at verse 22. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Now Paul, look, his question is what? If everybody is speaking in tongues in another language and you have a visitor, they're going to come in and be very uncomfortable. What in the world is going on? How, what is happening here? I don't understand a word they're saying. But look at verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider, 
he is, uh, or an outsider, basically comes in. He is convicted by all. All that he what? All that he hears. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, there's your humility, he will worship God and declare that God really is among you. Now, what did Paul just say? In comparison between tongues and prophesying, the preaching of the Word of God, which one is more valuable? Prophesying. The preaching of the gospel. Why? Because Paul says when the unbeliever comes in and he hears the word explained and he hears the word of uh, the Lord preached, he hears Christ exposited and explained as the only Savior of men, what happens to the unbeliever? He's convicted. He's cut to the heart. He's convicted of his sin. And guess what he does? He falls on his face. He humbles himself. And he cries out to God. You see, brothers and sisters, we should have a high view of the Word of God because it's the, it's the means by which the Holy Spirit uses the humble sinners. It, the Word of God never exalts pride. Never. If you've read the Word of God and you've exalted yourself and you have puffed up your own pride and vainglory, it's because you didn't understand what you were reading. The Word of God tears down pride. The Word of God tells, tears down vainglory. It tears down haughtiness. The Word of God tears down everything that exalts itself against Christ Jesus. We need to be careful of this. Look at the preaching of Peter in Acts chapter 2. You'll see here another power of the Word of God Coupled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. This is how the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God as it is preached to drive sinners to Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm not going to read the sermon. You can read the sermon in verse 25 all the way um, down through verse 36. That's sort of a, a synopsis of the sermon. But look at verse 37. Here's a response of the hearers of Peter's sermon. Now when they heard, when they heard what? When they heard this sermon, when they heard this message, they were pierced. The word means wounded or cut. They were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Repent. And each, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. That means Peter just went on preaching. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day they were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Brothers and sisters, what do we see there? We see that the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to drive men and women away from themselves. What must we do? We've been trying to save ourselves all this time. We've trusted in ourselves all this time. All this time, we've been doing the good works. We've been doing the good deeds. We've been memorizing these things in our own strength. Memorizing the Word of God with no love for God. Memorizing your catechism with no love for God or His glory. Listening to all of the readings of the Scriptures in the synagogues and in the temple, offering up your sacrifices, all what? In no way loving God while doing it, just doing it because you do it and there's no other reason but just to do it. But at the preaching of the Gospel, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit used the Word of God to open their eyes to who Jesus was. 
and they were cut to the heart. Peter preached that Christ had been raised from the dead and exalted at the right hand of God. And guess what? you got to contend with him. What must we do? What must we do? Another passage of Scripture, brothers and sisters, not only does the Word, not only does the Holy Spirit use the Word to drive us, drive us in the preaching to Christ, but He uses this to conform us to Christ. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look with me at verse 14. Verse 14 says, But their minds were hardened. Now, he's speaking of the Jews um, in Moses' day who didn't understand what Moses was preaching. Okay? They didn't understand Moses' preaching. But their minds were hardened, Paul says. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What is Paul saying here? Paul says that you are saved through the preaching of the Word of God, and you are transformed into the image of Christ degree by degree by degree by the preaching of the Word of God. Look at Romans 6, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, are of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from, set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. What does Paul say there? Paul says, oh, you were once slaves to sin, but now you are slaves to righteousness. You are slaves of Christ. And in being a slave of Christ, guess what? You're free. But what's this in relation to? Obedience from the heart, verse 17, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. To the Word of God. To the Word of God. Paul says, this is the standard of your conforming to the image of Christ. Treasure it. Esteem it. Value it, brothers and sisters, because there's no way you or I will be transformed to the image of Christ apart from the Word of God. It can't be done. It can't be done. Secondly, or fifthly, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God in strengthening us from corruptions and temptations. I'm just going to give you these passages of Scripture. Well, in fact, there's one we need to look at, and that's the temptation of Christ. Turn to Matthew 4. Turn to Matthew 4. Um, It... This is the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Satan comes, and Satan comes with a twisting word of God. He twists the word of God, just like he twisted it with Adam and Eve. He is now twisting the word with Jesus. And notice, Jesus responds to every twisting of the Scripture with a right use of Scripture. He responds with a, to the twisting use of Scripture with a right use of the Word of God. Look at verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered and said, It is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So he defeated Satan's temptation there with Scripture. Verse 5, And then he took him on into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and their hands they shall bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Defeated Satan with the word of God. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him into a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only and then satan left him and behold angels came and began to minister to him ephesians chapter 6 verses 16 and 17 tells us to stand fast against the temptations and the wiles of the devil that is we are to use the sword of the spirit of god the sword of the spirit in defeating satan And his temptations, brothers and sisters. I'm going to tell you, why should you treasure the Word of God? It keeps you out of the grip of the evil one. How many times have we hurt ourselves by disobeying Scripture we know and falling into serious temptation, depriving ourselves of joy, happiness, all kinds of spiritual comforts, because we didn't use the Word of God rightly in defeating that temptation. It happens. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, if you highly esteem and value the Word of God, you're going to save yourself a lot of heartache. You're going to save yourself a lot of heartache, a lot of trouble, by valuing and esteeming and putting yourself to be read the Word of God, putting yourself in a position to be instructed with the Word of God, putting yourself in position to receive the Word of God preached. I mean, we have smartphones, iPads, computers. You can put the Word of God on everything you have electronically just about. No excuse for our culture to be so dark and depraved and godless as it is when we have such access to the Word of God. This is my last point this morning. And that is the Holy Spirit uses the word to build us up in grace. To build us up in grace. Let's look at a passage. Look at um, 2 Timothy 3. Second Timothy 3, that the Word of God is able to build us up in grace, establish us in holiness, and comfort us in faith. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to build us up, to teach us, instruct us, make us strong, to establish us, to be established, and to comfort us. First, uh, Second Timothy three, um, fifteen and through seventeen, it says, "From, from, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith." which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. And brothers and sisters, are you guilty of treating lightly the Word of God? Are we guilty of having a low desire for such a precious treasure? In the next couple of weeks, what are we going to learn? We're going to learn how to, how to treasure the Scriptures. What it looks like to treasure the Scriptures. What it looks like to come prepared to hear the Word taught, read, or explained. 
What it means when we sit up under the Word of God. What's to be our uh, demeanor, attitude? How are we to bring ourselves into the presence of the living God through the teaching and reading and preaching of His Word? How many times have we been guilty, brothers and sisters, of having a low estimation and opinion? That means, you know, we could take church or leave it. We fill our agenda, we fill our schedule with all these other things because the preaching of the gospel, my reading of the Bible, my, te- my hearing, my having my elder or uh, somebody skilled and qualified to teach me the Word of God, it's not that important to me. If that's true of any of us here this morning, we're guilty of doing what Paul tells us not to do. Disdaining the Word of God. We're guilty of arrogance. We don't think we need it. We're haughty and trusting in ourselves to get us through the day rather than God in His Word. You see, God's given us a precious treasure. A a precious wellspring of life to nourish us, to encourage us, to help us along the way. It's like, it's like being famished and having access to a tremendous buffet but just not partaking of it because you choose not to. Don't let that be true of you after this morning. Let's take to heart what Paul is commanding us not to do. That is, carelessly, just carelessly handling the Word of God. Where's your Bibles? Where's your Bibles in your home? Where are they? Are they dusty? When's the last time you picked it up and truly ate from it? I didn't say read it. I said ate from it. As if it was the manna from heaven given to save your soul, sustain your soul, and to give you that hope of eternity. When's the last time you read the Word of God with such zeal? May today be a new day for you. Let's pray.